to FUDS on Film. My name is Dre Tavendale. With me today, Mr. Scott Morris. I live my life one quarter mile at a time. It just, he's getting old and he can only walk that far, but he has to take a wee breather. <laughs> Although that um, somewhat famous quote may have given you a, a little hint as to what we're talking about in this episode, as will almost certainly the title episode in your podcast player, the title of the episode. So uh, <laughs> it's no surprise. It's not a secret. <laughs> it's not, keep it secret, keep it safe, Scott. We are talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise, particularly comparing the first entry in the series, the 2001 film known as The Fast and the Furious, distinguishable in no way whatsoever by the, from the name of pretty much any of the rest of the series, and the, the most recent and unbelievably eighth instalment, The Fate of the Furious. This is the Studio Universal's biggest franchise of all time, and unbelievably, the sixth highest grossing film series of all time, with a combined gross of over $5 billion. Crikey. Now, if you were to believe Wikipedia, always a dangerous thing to do, The Fast and Furious is an American franchise based on a series of action films that is largely concerned with illegal street racing and heist, which is true for the first film. And that's it, largely. <laughs> because while the first film is based on legal street racing, they more or less leave it there. Um, it's touched on, I suppose, in the second and third films. After that, they really focus more on the heist and the illegal street racing goes bye-bye. So it's why you should just basically never read IMDb. No, not IMDb, Wikipedia. But I mention IMDb because I have my, my beef with that as well, which describes The Fast and the Furious as... Or the summation of it. Los Angeles police officer Brian O'Connor must decide where his loyalty really lies when he becomes enamoured with the street racing world he's been sent undercover to destroy. Which is A, not his mission, and B, nothing that happens in the film. So well done. <laughs> but, yes, without much further ado, let's talk about that first film, the one that, that started the whole thing and the one which I suppose we should blame. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was an aggressive, angry man called Dominic. Dominic lived in Los Angeles where he had a rivalry with his enemies, the angry Johnny Tran and the angry Lance. He spent time with his angry girlfriend Letty, his angry friend Vince, his twitchy friend Jesse and his friend Leon, who had a beard. He also had a sister, Mia, who was kind and gentle and not angry, so she was probably adopted or an oversight in the script. Dominic divided his time between his car workshop, illegal street racing and ambitious mobile truck heists. The Los Angeles Police Department thought that this last activity was very naughty. Very naughty indeed. So they arranged for one of their officers to pose as a street racer in order to get close to Dominic and prove his guilt. This officer's name was Brian, and he had blonde hair and could smile. See Brian drive. Drive, Brian, drive. Clever Brian. Brian falls in love with Mia, and Mia falls in love with Brian, because Brian has hair and can smile. This makes it difficult for Brian to be a police officer because he does not want to arrest his girlfriend's brother. And it's only grand larceny, hijacking and assault after all. See Brian fail in the execution of his duty. Bad Brian. Brian and Mia come to Dominic's rescue when his latest naughty heist goes badly wrong. And everybody finds out that Brian is a police officer. After which there are scenes. The animosity between Dominic and Brian is settled by the time-honoured legal instrument of a drag race. See Brian drive. See Brian drive faster than the angry man. Well done, Brian. It's difficult to believe that this 
relatively small, though actually recently entertaining film would go on to spawn seven sequels and counting and become a money-spinning box office behemoth. The Fast and the Furious is populated by almost universally terrible actors playing characters with a single emotion each. If you put all of the characters in the film together, you could potentially create a gestalt character with a whole three, maybe even four emotions, two of which would be anger and aggression. To illustrate, we can look at Michelle Rodriguez, who plays Letty, whose entire performance in every single film she's ever been in ranges from I'm giving consideration to murdering you, all the way to I already have a lovely stake picked out onto which I will put your head. <laughs> and Paul Walker, who plays Brian, whose entire performance in every single film he's ever been in ranges from I remembered my lions. <laughs> lions? <laughs> That's why he got so many roles. Constant threat of the lions. Oh, that would make that film so much more interesting if I actually had lions in it. <laughs> It'd be like that great scene in Talladega Nights where um, Gary Coleman puts a cougar in the car with um, Ricky Bobby. Oh, suddenly, in my estimation, the Fast and Furious got a considerably more potential. Has considerably more potential. <laughs> Sorry. What I did mean to say, of course, was, yes, um, and Paul Walker, um, whose entire performance in every single film he's ever been in ranges from, I remembered my lines. But his eyes, Drew. Yes. He has such pretty eyes. Yes. Yes. Or, I was going to say, in my words, or less charitably, is pretty. In the words of Scott Morris before we began recording, and it should be the film's pull quote from now on, Paul Walker's eyes are dreamy. They Scott are. Morris, Fuds on film. They're so pretty, Drew. But, as I said a few moments ago, the first film in the series is at least reasonably entertaining, and, particularly in comparison with where the franchise has gone, is relatively grounded and realistic. And, and really, I'm not. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, even even not comparatively, it's I'm not being hyperbolic there. It, it, it's fairly grounded. There is illegal street racing, absolutely a thing. Skilled drivers using their talents to commit a daring crime, an actual thing, and an undercover police officer attempting to investigate a crime, obviously a thing. There is not, for instance, a prolonged chase scene on ice with a Lamborghini and a nuclear submarine. <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> I mean, while the plot is fairly solid, um, if prosaic, the characterization is so thin as to be non-existent. Brian is a cop. Dominic is a good, bad man. Or maybe a bad, good man. Letty is angry. And I suppose that you could argue that in a film like this, that character doesn't matter much to the action scenes do. But you have to give the audience reason to care about what a character does in an action scene, which is much more difficult when the character doesn't, in fact, have any. There are, from the get-go of this franchise, problems. Um, the lack of characterization is one. At, at least in future films, the characters get a little bit of back and forth, even if 50% of it is making fun of Tyrese Gibson's character. But in this film, everybody is incredibly one-note and incredibly angry. And then there's the women. Because me and Letty are family, they are afforded more respect. But in general, women are treated pretty lasciviously in The Fast and the Furious, a trend which only worsens as the series goes on. And, having mentioned it, curiously for a series which goes on to be marked by, and ridiculed for, its obsession with family. The only character in this first film who seems particularly concerned by the concept is Johnny Tran. Um, Dom, that's um, Vin Diesel's character, even admits that he doesn't care about family or anything else. 
he only lives for the 10 seconds of a quarter mile drag race. Strange then, because that's the character who seems most obsessed with family in every film going on. Still, the driving scenes are well enough handled, the motorway heists in particular are fun with the skill of real drivers on display, and the serviceable, if unremarkable, story links things together in a competent enough fashion. And there's the aforementioned nuclear submarines, conspicuous here by their absence. Watchable throwaway entertainment. When I first watched this 16 years ago, I was quite entertained by I've watched it a couple of times since. I still find it reasonably entertaining, if not particularly good. I, however, have sawed all idea why there are seven more. And soon to be eight. Yes. But, of course, Paul Walker's eyes are dreamy. Oh, so dreamy. I mean, really, this film is setting up the character development arc for Dom, because this is where <laughs> he has learned how important Pramler is to, <laughs> to him, and so that's why the, the arc happens in the rest of the films. Although, of course, not the next two films, which he's not in. Or at least yes, and the fact that there is in fact there is an after credits sequence in The Fast and the Furious, where he shows that he hasn't learned anything about family because he's just repeating the line about him living a quarter mile of a time as he's in Baja in Mexico. So he hasn't learned anything about family, he's just wanting to drive. Oh, yeah, it, it takes him the next two films that he's not in to learn it, but he, <laughs> he, he does do it. Yeah, I think we've mentioned at some point in the last, talked about this pile of garbage that um, is, uh, if, if when we came out of the cinema, because I'm pretty sure we saw this together back in the day. Um, I think it's quite likely. When we came out, it's like, if you told me that this was going to be a, a multiplex bestriding behemoth that takes all the monies, I would have thought you were barking mad because it's a perfectly yep. entertaining little film, but it has no need for anything else to happen to it. So there's no this shouldn't even have a sequel, let alone multiple sequels of varying Yeah, exactly my point, Scott. <laughs> it's it's a serviceable film, um it's a reasonable thing to make a film about. It's reasonably well made. Mm. Uh I don't understand. I I don't see where this starting here got to where it got to. Yeah. I don't understand that trajectory. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, for what it's trying to do, it does it well enough. And you know, yeah, the characters are, of course, very thinly drawn. But there's at least moments in this where it looks like Vin Diesel's having some fun. And yeah, that's I, the thing. I, I don't think I actually, you can say about much of the rest of the films that he's in, but in this one, he kind of does. Yeah, I, and I mean, by no means is Vin Diesel a good actor. For some reason, though, and it's not in the way because the later films do, of course, introduce Dwayne Johnson who is um, really charismatic um, yeah. in an awful lot of terrible films, but he is really charismatic. Um, but Vin Diesel, while he doesn't have the same charisma as um, Dwayne Johnson, I do kind of like him, and I've never been able to understand quite why. Hmm. I know what you mean about he seems he's having a bit of fun in this film, and, and there's something interesting there that is largely forgotten about in every other film. Yeah, yeah, and the rest of it is... You know, it's, it's, it's fine. I've no, I've no bone to pick with the film. It was uh, perfectly enjoyable. I watched it just uh, before we recorded this, and it's as entertaining now as it was then, which is to say, mildly. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't yes. say it's matured like a fine wine or anything, but it's not got any worse. Um, it largely is a thing, a film that has lots of nice car noises, and if that's what you want out of a film, and sometimes you do want something that vapid. This really delivers it quite well. It's got some you know, nice action sequences of cars driving quickly, and that's, that's sometimes that's all you're really in the market for, and this delivers it as well as anything else. But yeah, n- not much more than that, and not um, certainly not 
to the extent that makes what happened afterwards have any kind of logic yes. to it. <laughs> this is not the obvious foundation for five billion dollars. <laughs> Let me just repeat that. The franchise has earned five billion dollars. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's such a ridiculous sum of money, I feel like I need to say it in a Doctor Evil voice. <laughs> It's incomprehensible that, that this is the film that began it. Tell you what, you, shall I just batter on about Fast and the Furious 8? Because that's probably... We want to talk about how it's changed between then and there, I think, at this point, And it probably makes sense to cover what it's changed into. Yes, I mean, I just briefly... Um, I, before you move on to Fast and Furious 8, like, roughly the trajectory. I mean, this had made enough money, a couple hundred million dollars, I think, off of a budget of just under 40 that at least monetarily a sequel was justified. You can understand that, um, even if story wise didn't particularly warrant it. Hmm. So the second film, Too Fast Too Furious, which is actually my um favourite film in the franchise and notably doesn't have Vin Diesel or Michelle, my single emotion is terminal anger, um Rodriguez in it. Hmm. It's kind of similar. It's still Paul Walker, unfortunately, but being a an undercover police officer and it's, you know, Fast cars, good driving, attractive people, um, a bit of a double cross and some sort of clever um, plot twists and stuff. And, it, you know, very entertaining, obvious progression from the first film. Third film is such an outlier and it seems to have almost nothing to do with anything else going on. But the warning Someone sign... Someone saw Initial D the year earlier and thought we could <laughs> just copy that and did. Yes. Um, and a lot of the third film fast and furious tokyo drift is about racing and possibly in terms of racing it's the purest of the films and and so then that makes sense but the warning signs are there for how ridiculous it was getting because as i recall fast and the furious tokyo drift has teenage schoolboys being involved with the yakuza because that'll happen i think um and then after that, it seems to forget street racing altogether and just become some sort of increasingly ridiculous action film with, I don't know, I can't even describe it. It's just so over the top for the rest of it. Yeah, they largely became action films if you replaced most of the shooting with cars. Uh, <laughs> not all of the shooting, there's still shooting in it, of course, but largely oh, yeah. it's car driving scenes rather than sort of shootout scenes, more or less. Oh yeah, but then that changed though, especially after maybe, certainly by seven, um, and probably by six to, because unfortunately I have seen every single film in this franchise, because I have problems with self-loathing, obviously. Um, like being a bad boy must be punished. It's, certainly uh, <laughs> by six or seven, they have very much, there are cars in it, but they've added an awful lot of shooting into it, because in seven, you have The Rock walking around Los Angeles with a minigun. You say uh, that as though it's a bad thing. Oh, clearly. Clearly it's the best of things, Scott. I I am wrong. Um, There's not many things you can do to improve Citizen Kane, but I think The Rock walking around with a machine gun would probably be up there. Oh, you're probably right, yes. Um, that, that That's what that film really needed. Is, um, Rosebud was the name of The Rock's minigun. Yeah, makes sense. Checks out. Yes, but um, the point being that as the franchise has gone on, the, the stakes have become bigger and bigger. The action has become more ridiculous. The plot has become considerably more unbelievable, and the the stunts have become Daffy. considerably more. Daffy is <laughs> a good word, and much because I mean there are there's CGI in the first film, 
um, and some rear projection too. But a lot of what is so appealing about the first film is that it is real driving. Yeah. And that death. I mean, there is there is still some actual physical driving done in the rest of the films. Don't get me wrong, but it's it becomes less because of some of the stuff that clearly isn't happening. And then, of course, there's the the end of one of the films. I think six. I hate that I know so much about this, where they do have the infamous sixty mile long runway, and a lot of trickery added in there which can it, it detracts from it a bit because just seeing the actual physical skill of dryers is what was appealing about it to, to begin with yeah all of which leads us though towards what scott's going to tell us about which is the most recent installment fast and furious 8 where where things have not at all gotten more ridiculous and there aren't chases with nuclear submarines yeah so the fates of the furious as it is slightly infuriatingly called uh so Dom's off on his honeymoon to Cuba with Letty after the conclusion of all that their nonsense at the end and the middle and um, the beginning of Fast and Furious 7, uh, but he only has time to fit in one silly race sequence before being approached by a mysterious operative we'll soon know as Cypher, played by Charlize Theron. Uh, despite the marketing material trying to claim that she seduces him into following her evil whims, it's pretty obvious from the get-go that Dom's being blackmailed into helping her with her plans. And what plans they are. I mean, there, there is at no point any seduction because she appears and shows him a picture on her phone that we don't get to see, but, well, clearly that's blackmail and there's never a suggestion of anything else. Kisses him at one point for the purposes of putting that scene in the trailer. Uh, and yes, what plans they are. Starting off with heist of an EMP itself, confusingly already be heisted by some other random party, leading to Hobbs, Dwayne Johnston, uh, The Rock, uh, being called on to counter-steal it in an off-the-books black op. I have just remembered about how angry that scene made me, too, because of how bad the writers are. And I only want to mention it now because I'll, I'll forget if I don't stop you now. Yes, the scene where you mentioned The Rock's basically coerced into to doing this thing. And it's like the government guy says, you've got to do this for your country and stuff. And then says, yeah, but we um, we will like not back you up or anything. I'm like, not quite sure what the argument is for him doing this. He loves his country. He doesn't want to see EMPs in the hands of the rollers. <laughs> Uh, it's, 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 everything about this film is so badly written it doesn't make any sense Dom and his team, those being Letty Tyrese Gibson's Roman Ludacris's Tej and uh, Natalie Emmanuel's Ramsey uh, the latter two of these being the team's dueling hackers because the one thing this film series needed was more redundant characters uh, so this team is called upon to take back the EMP they're successful, off camera, uh, but Dom double-crosses the team, leaving Hobbs to be thrown in a German jail alongside old enemy and Blade Runner Deckard, Jason Statham, <laughs> leading to jibes aplenty. Uh, it doesn't stay that, like that for very long, as G-Man in Black, Mr. Nobody, Kurt Russell, arranges a prison break for Hobbs and Deckard, under the condition that they team up with the remnants of Dom's family to find hunt down their former leader. A former leader who is now assaulting Russian defence secretaries along with a flotilla of hacked self-driving cars because in this film computer hacking is essentially magic and Cypher makes Merlin look like a two-bit three-card Monty hustler. Yeah, I th- I honestly think too, because the, the scenes with the hacked cars are so ridiculous that somebody read the book Demon hmm. and the sequel Freedom trademark, um, which has scenes almost identical to that several times where the cars fleets of cars been used to attack people i think they just cribbed that straight from that book <laughs> which is set in the future where that might have been possible yes seems to vastly overestimate the number of self-driving cars that are in the world there but uh, which is apparently all of them yes well they've all got zero day exploits so you know <laughs> that in. Um, 
before too long... They're all running Windows XP. That's the problem. <laughs> yes. Uh, and before too long, we're concerned with the stopping the hijack of a nuclear submarine from a Russian base. Again, we're told a base that's been taken over by a group of ultra-nationalists without the Russian government caring to do much about it because of reasons. You know, the current Russian administration, of course, being notoriously lenient and forgiving about this sort of thing. <laughs> oh, that, that... That wacky Vladimir Putin. Oh, he's just... <laughs> he's what's a, he like, eh? He's a card. So, in a nutshell, it's the by now usual chain of increasingly silly motor-based action set pieces, with Dom and Cypher being a half-step in front of Hobbs, Deckard and crew, waiting for the moment when the tables can be turned on Cypher and her crew of heavies led by Game of Thrones' Christopher Hivju, and we find out what caused the Dom to agree to all this history. What is the only thing more important than family? Spoiler, it is family. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, at least for me, uh, there were sections of... I, I keep wanting to say Final Fantasy VIII, but <laughs> Fast and Furious VIII, because that's how I've abbreviated it, FF8. Um, there are sections of this film that I actually enjoyed, which gives it a substantial leg up on FF7. Tellingly, these are almost entirely limited to when The Rock and Jason Statham are bouncing off each other like two yes. slabs of sentient muscle that have learned to wisecrack. That's it, because um, as opposed to most of the other people in the film... The Rock and Jason Statham have charisma, mm. and it goes a long way. Yes, indeed, I would happily watch the hell out of a spin-off series of these two having zany hijinks with Statham's dear old ma Helen Mirren in the background. That would, that would <laughs> oh, be a franchise that, I could get behind. <laughs> I, I couldn't get behind Helen Mirren's terrible Cockney accent, though. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's one of the worst <laughs> accents I've heard um, outside of Kate Blanchett in a long time. <laughs> Uh, the rest of the film, however, is a dumpster fire. I was sort of on board with that opening drag race as being a much-needed uh, return to the roots of the series, or at least a nod to it, but it turns out to be as good a distillation of the series arc as a whole, going from a fun bit of driving into an increasingly daft set of stunts, ending in a flaming wreck that must be driven into the sea. It's increasingly clear that this franchise needs to get rid of Dom's team, even if we must, I suppose, be lumbered with Vincent Diesel himself. Now, I don't even mind the Vin Diesel all that much as mentioned, but the franchise has changed markedly, and Diesel and co. have not come along for the ride. I'm overjoyed to see The Rock cutting loose and Jason Statham hard-boiling his way out of an airplane, shooting goons and girding <laughs> a baby. That fits with the bombastic nature of the beast that this has become, but mumbly Joe dribbling on about a family to a team of underwritten also-rans by this point just needs to be jettisoned. Uh, again, I, I don't really have any huge beef with any of them. There's just not enough screen time to have them do anything meaningful. You don't need a comic relief character if everyone's making jokes all the time. You don't need two hackers. You don't need Scott Eastwood's junior G-Man at all. And I guess the other real bone of contention is Thrawn uh, Cypher. Sadly looking to be a returning nemesis for the series because she is so badly underwritten and could really have used some of the ultimately wasted screen time that Dom's team consume. She's written as some sort of Bond villain but without any motivations or reasoning and now by no means did all Bond villains get more than a vague cursory backstory or reason for their schemes but you know, if that. Um, but the memorable ones tended to and I have no idea why Cypher is doing anything that she's doing <laughs> apart from some vague reference to putting world governments on notice, which barely counts. As a result... It also barely means care. anything. Didn't have any reason to care about her. Now, overall, I enjoyed this much more than the last few uh, installments. Possibly I enjoyed it more than anyone since the second. 
but that's not really saying an awful lot. Um, that, I, that is damning it with yeah, praise, Scott. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind that these films are made, and I don't really care that they're successful in the way that you know Craig seemed to take it as a personal insult. <laughs> um, but I, I'm actually okay with them doubling down on the silly side of things. I'm just tired about being asked to care about Vin Diesel and his family because they are by far the least compelling thing in these films at this point. So, yeah, I quite like bits of the start, I like bits of the end, and it drags incredibly in the middle. Silly. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, the whole storyline with Vin Diesel and everything, it's, it's just boring. It's the big problem. There's no reason to care about him or, yes, his family. And just because the... This franchise has gone so far from its beginnings. I mean, because when you have the the way the characters are written, right? You have the Rock, who was a a DSS agent. I, I am mm. not sure whether that's actually a real department of the US um, yeah. government or not. You. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but certainly, he's meant to have been some sort of trained agent um, yeah. in some military or law enforcement capacity. Jason Statham, I think, was meant to have been in the SAS or something like that. Yeah. Um, and when you've got these stakes so high, where nuclear launch goods are being stolen, uh, <laughs> then those characters fit. Kurt Russell's character is the kind of unknown agency, nameless guy, um, G-Man. Although, it would, if they're going to keep stealing things from other properties, they could at least steal the G-Man from Half-Life, because that would be really funny. <laughs> yeah. um, then, then that all fits. But Dominic Toretto, who was a basically a thug hmm. who managed to steal some stuff because he was good at driving um <laughs> he, he's really small time um paul walker was in all of these he was at least a police officer so i guess he made sense um but still um fairly small time tyrese gibson who was appeared first in too fast too furious he was kind of two-bit hood basically and you first see him he's got an ankle, an ankle bracelet on because he was in prison for fairly minor crimes certainly isn't a trained agent michelle rodriguez whose ability is to be incredibly angry at everything all of the time in every film ever is just a person who fancied dom as a kid and somehow is now saving the world um all of the earlier characters have no place in where the franchise has gone as you say scott not the slightest um, it do- it doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense. The one person who maybe does is, I'd say, Paul Walker, before his death. Uh, they wrote the character at the end of the last film because he was a trained police officer. Therefore, maybe he has some sort of transferable skill. Statham and The Rock definitely work, but everybody else is either a two-bit hood or somebody who worked in a sandwich shop. You know? <laughs> um, Ludacris's character, apparently, he's um one of the great hackers now, but in his introduction, again, in Too Fast, Too Furious, he ran a garage. (laughs) That's what he did. So I don't understand where all of this has come from. Suddenly now these people are saving the world. It doesn't make any sense. Who knows? Maybe it's the same across all like secret agencies. Maybe if you got a hold of uh, Daniel Craig's CV for James Bond, it'd be like immediately before it, he was making sandwiches in Subway or something. Just went straight from that into the 007 program. I don't know. Could happen. There also is also the problem too that I get the feeling that Vin Diesel takes this quite seriously. I get the feeling um, Vin Diesel takes everything very seriously. Yes, um, he's a very serious get, character. I assume Michelle Rodriguez does, but it's impossible to tell because her facial expression is absolute fury at every single moment, even when she's smiling. Paul Walker, bless him. 
he had hair and could oh, smile. What I liked about <laughs> the way his hair is just the way it cascaded down like a golden waterfall, framing his face like he was hair. like a he's like a um, a classical Greek statue, right, Scott? He's a bronzed Greek god. Um, but The Rock, it's always been clear, he knows exactly how silly this is and is having fun. Yeah. And Statham is basically the same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I terrible really accent. Is, it's incredibly enjoyable when those two are on screen. Yeah. I, yeah, I think those, I would watch those two endlessly. Uh, but it's, yes, the rest of it has its um, Helen Mirren, who has no place anywhere near a film like this because she's like about 11 day levels far too good for something like this. <laughs> While her accent is appalling, I think also she's having a bit of fun with it. Of um, and Kurt Russell. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, Kurt Russell, he's not the world's greatest actor and he's not doing anything particularly well here, but he's not being bad at it. And I think he knows. Um, he, he Again, he's a fairly charismatic guy and he's just having a bit of fun with this and his interactions with The Rock work fairly well. Yeah. Uh, although I do agree with your point that Scott Eastwood's character is completely extraneous. Yes. He's really just there to be a bit of comic relief when he gets The Rock's character wrong. Yeah. And yeah, for the rest of it, if nobody has any business being there at all. It doesn't make any sense, and everybody else is taking it far too seriously. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily mind it not making sense. Right? I don't come to the Fast and Furious at any point for it to be, you know, a, a grounded logical film. But, <laughs> but. It just seems like it is deleterious to the film to keep these guys around. You know, because mm. not only does it not make sense, they are just burning screen time that you could use for far more effectively with the other people, either the villains or the other heroes who are more fun. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, um, yeah. As you mentioned, Charlie's Thrun has uh, is so massively underserved too, which you know she doesn't need uh, any particularly large amount of dialogue to do a particularly good for us. Look at her as Imperata Furiosa mm. in superb Mad Max Fury Road. You know, I mean, she deserves much better than she gets here. And part of the problem is too, the whole film is in so many ways derivative because I am fairly certain that the self-driving car thing is stolen straight from Demon. It's so like so many scenes in that book that I think it's at least an influence. And then, I mean, it's a deeply entertaining scene with Jason Statham and the baby but it is yeah. basically just comes straight from the end of Hard Boiled yeah yeah. Um, entertainment because Statham sells it so well I, and I have an awful lot of time for Jason Statham because when he's not doing a terrible accent like in The One <laughs> he's incredibly watchable and incredibly charismatic and generally knows whether a film is meant to be taken seriously or not Yeah, and so the derivative things aside there are good points and there are entertaining points but it's it's bringing along the the series legacy that is just it's a big dragon. It's like an anchor. Yes, uh, unfortunately though, that this series shows no signs of stopping because Fast and Furious Nine is already in production. Mm. I think so. It's, it's scheduled for a release to twenty nineteen. Well, I mean, I know um, was, they were definitely kind of confirming eight, nine, and ten back last year, weren't they? So. Amazingly, although possibly blessedly, though, nobody has actually mentioned the terms Fast and Furious Cinematic Universe, but it's only a matter of time. <laughs> the Yes, this most recent one is definitely the best of them since two. I would agree with you there, Scott. Because while it is comfortably the most ridiculous, again, I point you to a car chase with a nuclear submarine. <laughs> it is so, focused oh, we're, so... We're, we're assaulting a Russian ice base. Let's take a... Let's take a sports car. That'll work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I believe Lamborghinis were designed for driving on ice and being chased by nuclear submarines. <laughs> yeah, they're mainly classed as assault vehicles, yeah. It's a fair. It's a better choice than a Ferrari because a lot of Lamborghinis do have four-wheel drive, but I still don't think it's going to really cut it on some ice. Yeah. The the fact that Fast and Furious 8 is more tolerable, might be the word, has a lot to do with the fact that it focuses much more on Statham and The Rock. Yeah. And it makes a big, big difference. Um, and again, it's not even just performance, uh, although that's a large part of it because their their charisma really shines through. It's just they don't really know what to do with Vincent Diesel, um, no. whose real name, unbelievably, is Mark Sinclair, which just sounds wrong. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, the the character arc, if you want to call it that, through the series for him is it's finished. They don't have anything useful to do with him. All they can do is just keep repeating the same stuff, which is largely family, 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 family. Basically, Vin Diesel's in his own version of being John Malkovich, and all they can say is family, 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 family. What puzzles me is that, from what I gather, he seems like he's still quite into making these films. This was kind of his, it made a bit of power play actually become back into the series, and what would that be for? But. He just seems bored in all of it. He, he seems like he's bored doing these films. And, I mean, if you look back at his earlier career, stuff like, um, you know, Pitch Black had its moments, but Boiler Room in particular, The Iron Giant, you know, he's good in those films. I liked him in both of those films. Um, but, but I'm not sure what you, how you, good you would call him in The Iron Giant because his performance isn't that much different from his performances, Groot. Um, yeah, true. But, but, um, but, yeah, and then he has... He has moments in other films. And Pitch Black is actually, I can't think, underrated. Mm. I don't think I saw either of the two Riddick um, sequels, but yeah, he's by no means a fantastic actor, but he can he can be at least engaging. But and it's essentially so much the this. same character, at least now. <laughs> Maybe not in the yeah. first film, but I mean, now you've got him as a crazy superhero slash supervillain, then he might as well be doing um, Riddick. So... Why is he much better in Pitch Black than he is in this one? I don't, I don't yeah. get it at all. He's even better in, um, and it's again, it was working with Rob Cohen, but the original Triple X. I've not seen the yeah. the new Triple X he's in. It's not a good film, but he's more interested in that. Even stuff you might not expect, like Babylon AD. I remember finding him quite entertaining, Babylon AD. Yeah, it had its problems. I think Vin Diesel would be the least of his, the problems of that. Film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Uh, for the the series that he's uh, most associated with, and if uh, I hadn't read that, Scott, but if, as you say, kind of really campaigned to be in this, why does he seem so disinterested? Yeah, don't get it. <laughs> but yes, we can look forward to more of him in the Fast and the Furious because he's confirmed for 9 and 10. Yay! And I say that because I know me i know me very well and i am a completionist i now will have to watch the rest of the series <laughs> i have seen all of them. if i had somehow missed a couple then possibly i could just skip the rest but now that i've seen all eight of them i have to see nine and ten because it will irritate me um this is this is my own cross to bear it is a problem and oh god he's there's a gunny man triple x4 with him in it as well oh no <laughs> fortunately that one i don't feel compelled to watch because i haven't watched triple x um, return of Xander Cage so I as, soon, as long as I don't do something foolish like watch that I can avoid that but yeah, I, they need to cut that character out it doesn't fit anymore especially not bringing along all of the rest of the crew 
Yeah, I mean, I'll accept you probably need him in the films because you know, he's a linchpin of it at this point, but I don't think he should be in central in any way to it. And no. yeah, his, his hangers on should be uh, hung. <laughs> I'm assuming that the next film is going to be set in space because it's the obvious progression from nuclear submarine, right? It's either that or inside a whale. <laughs> I'm not sure in, why. Inside a whale in space. <laughs> inside a space whale, yeah. So basically, it's the start of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. But if we are following the Bond trajectory, as this seems to be in some ways too, then space is the obvious next thing. It's Fast and Furious 10 Moonraker. Yeah. <laughs> space family. I suppose the only positive for that is we've missed past, we went straight past the uh, Voodoo Prince stages, so we don't get a Baron Samedi analogue, <laughs> which I think would work quite well. I also noticed that there is going to be yet another Riddick film, so he does seem to like his franchises, this old Vin. <laughs> That's um, Guardians of the Galaxy, Triple X, Fast and Furious, and Riddick. He's in four um, films, uh, film franchises with multiple entries. Yeah. I mean, kudos to him for being so damn successful. I just wish he was in better stuff, and also he was better. <laughs> yeah, though, the Fast and the Furious is... It's a strange beastie because it bears not even the slightest relation now to how it began. Mm. Because really, and I said it and I meant it, the first one is really, is really quite grounded. There was nothing particularly far-fetched out of the origin of the original one. There's street racers and some fairly um, ambitious but relatively low-level crime um, and a police officer investigating it. None of that is difficult to believe. Yeah. And Paul Walker, obviously, because he's a terrible, terrible actor. But he's so but, pretty. And he can smile, Scott. Don't forget, he can smile and remember his lines. He has eyes, um, Drew. He has eyes. I, I remember um, the tremendous film Running Scared, which may well have been one of the worst films I've ever seen. <laughs> but he remembered his lines in it, and that's what's important, and he was pretty. <laughs> uh, so I, I just remember, too, we talked about Running uh, apropos of, of almost nothing, but... Uh, just because I've mentioned it, we talked about Running Scared in a very early The One Liner podcast, and somebody took <laughs> great umbrage to our denigrating such a fantastic um, film, which I believe they described Scott as a mainstream cult classic, um, which really meant that that person ought to get a dictionary. <laughs> um, yes, they sadly missed Paul Walker. Um, I don't wish that he was dead. Uh, no matter how it happens, you don't want any young person to die, but uh, I, I don't think the series suffers for the lack of his presence. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, such a strange journey this franchise has gone on because it now bears sod all relation to where it began at all. It may as well not have the same name and certainly not the same characters. Yes, it's a, it's a puzzlement to me and I, I dare say we won't have really made much progress by the time the next film comes out and we can have the same conversation again uh, next year uh, as we puzzle our way as this franchise probably ends probably won't and it'll probably just keep on going won't it <laughs> well if they've already set up for the 10th film in 2021 and it's the 6th highest grossing franchise of all time and Universal's gamble on the Monsters Universal Cinematic yeah. Universe actually a thing they've called it um, <laughs> because Tom Cruise's The Mummy's bombed so spectacularly I think that it's virtually certain, unless there's some unexpected flop in one of the next two films, mm. that this is going to continue. Yeah. I, I I would be depressed by it, but if 
this ends up reaching bond number of installments, I'm I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah, I think logically what we'll do for Eleven is have uh, Dom fight the Wolfman, and then we can cross <laughs> over the Dark Universe and uh, this as well. So that that work. <laughs> I think. Ah, oh, wait, I've got the Scott. Vin Helsing. That would work. <laughs> I I am slightly too pleased with that. <laughs> But at least it might make me forget the um, the terrible, terrible Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman, which was appalling. Um, I, I don't see how Vin Helsing could possibly be worse than that. <laughs> yeah, so that was the Fast and the Furious 10. Uh, I believe we did have one comment about that on Twitter, though, Scott. Yes, uh, Perpetual Dumb Machine at Blake writes on Twitter, again, from the I'm the Host podcast. Uh, Fast and the Furious and Mission Impossible both had this franchise arc where by the end, everyone agreed how silly the premise was and started having fun with it, uh, which is uh, more or less what we were uh, coming across with there. Uh, no, that, that's it's just half a shame true. that Dominic isn't having a lot of fun with it. Uh, yeah. It's half true, because that's my point, is that it really didn't begin out silly at all. It began, in the realm of these things, fairly ordinary, whereas Mission Impossible from the get-go had people with perfect face masks. Yeah. But, but we yes. didn't need it in Fast and the Furious, because, of course, Paul Walker has the perfect face. So, he has yes, eyes, Drew. Uh, piercing blue eyes. Ah, uh, Jamie Paul Walker. I think um, <laughs> while we are all um, happen to be heterosexual men on Fuds and Film, we each have our own man crush, I believe. Craig's was um, is Ryan Gosling. Mine is Gael Garcia Bernal. Uh, Scott, apparently we found yours. It's Paul Walker. Specifically his eyes. So take them out and put them on anyone else. <laughs> I'm not uh, suggesting we take his eyes out. I mean, especially not now. Oh, this is a dark place. Let's let's skip over. <laughs> yes, but uh, Mission Impossible could begin with um, people having perfect face masks and got ridiculous. But at least somebody in the Fast and Furious franchise has embraced how silly it is. I'm pretty sure it's not the writers because I don't think they have that self awareness. In fact, I'm pretty certain that they don't. Fortunately, though, the two most charismatic people in the film obviously Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson know exactly how silly it is and they're having fun with it and that goes a long way it's it's I think if they had played that in any way straight <laughs> Fast and Furious or the fate of the furious but they need to find some way to name them though because they're just it's an absolute nightmare at the moment at least the next ones are just simply have numbers yeah. I mean, that's just easier stick with that yeah, if Statham or Johnson had been in any way earnest about this film, it would have been the most interminable slog. Yeah. But with their interplay together, the fights in the prison and things, and they're they're sniping at each other, genuinely entertaining. Just speaking of gaming films, can I say how excited I am for Jason Statham's next vehicle, the untitled Hong Kong action thriller, which I think is a great name for a film. I like that. Yeah, let's just be very meta. Call it untitled Hong Kong action thriller. <laughs> I really like. Much as I like Jason Statham, he's getting on a bit to be doing many more action films, certainly a Hong Kong one, which tend to be particularly actiony. <laughs> but yes, that's. Um, I suppose that really brings us to the end of the Fast and Furious, about which we have talked surprisingly much, more than really it probably deserves. Um, but again, for it being such a money maker and not going away anytime soon that makes it worthy of talking about i guess because it's really an important film in terms of its box office at the very least yeah <laughs> i'm not sure we have much more to add to this 
um, other than that family. It's very important, Drew. Family. Between that and living your life a quarter mile at a time, I think we've all learned an awful lot of things from Fast and Furious. Let's take that um, to heart. Particularly, I, I am surprised about how quickly a nuclear submarine can move through water compared to a car on the top of the ice. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, that's, the whole sequence is just so ridiculous and it bothers me so much. But, yes, uh, <laughs> we, we will stop now, I think. If, if you'd like to say anything to us about this podcast or any of our other episodes, please talk to us. We, we like to hear from you. Genuinely, we, we want to have conversations with people who are listening so we can direct it to the appropriate medical authorities if necessary for doing so. But you can contact us uh, in many ways. The easiest way probably is through Twitter, twitter.com slash fudsonfilm. Contact us on Facebook, facebook.com slash fudsonfilm or through the, the old-fashioned email podcast at fudsonfilm.com please do let us know we're not alone share our pain if you must but please <laughs> talk to us and uh, if you have a moment if you want to leave a wee review on itunes or somewhere then that would be great just because again as i said in another episode it's just going to stroke our ego maybe the side effect of that is that more people listen to us but that also will stroke our ego so please stroke our ego stroke it stroke it <laughs> <laughs> okay and before we get um too icky <laughs> we will leave you uh, it'll be when I'm finished with you mm-hmm. okay um but yes thank you for um for sharing this time with us and we will be back with you at some point soon to talk about films probably because we're weird like that <laughs> uh, Scott over there was Scott bye uh, and I was Drew hasta la próxima bye